The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and we are live today, the first Monday of 2011. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday and I wish you all a very, very happy and healthy new year. Our guest today is Frank Lisnow, who is the Executive Director of CDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Mr. Lisnow has over 35 years of experience in treating chemically dependent individuals and their families. He served as Vice President of a 110-bed Pennsylvania Treatment Center and co-founded the Vermont Addiction Counselors Association. He is past president and 10-year board member of the National Association of Alcoholism and Drug Abuse Counselors. Um, he's also currently serves on the Board of Society of Addiction Counselors in Colorado. A frequent national spokesman and lecturer about addiction treatment issues, he has authored numerous articles and publications in the addiction field. One of the reasons that Frank is with us today is to talk about the five-year anniversary for the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation at the University of Colorado. Um, and to celebrate that, they have an amazing program lined up and the guest performer will be Bon Jovi from, um, has been around. I think they're the third highest grossing act. Um, I, I just saw that on the internet somewhere where Bon Jovi is the third highest grossing act of all time for rock bands. So welcome, Frank, and thank you for uh, starting the new year with us. Well, thank you, Mary, and I wish you and uh, all the listeners a happy new year. Thanks for having me on. Um, uh, just to kind of do some clarification here, Frank and I are both past presidents of NADAC, the Association of Addiction Professionals, and we both have over 35 years of experience um, in the addiction world. And um, one of the things that I'd like you to kind of talk about, Frank, is um, how have things changed since you first got into the profession? How has treatment changed? Well, I think it's changed in a very positive way, Mary. I think what we've realized more and more is that um, the people we treat are, number one, connected to families that are suffering from this illness, and number two, bring into uh, our treatment facilities, whether that be residential, outpatient, intensive outpatient, uh, more than just their chemical dependency. They bring with them other issues that a lot of us folks have, anxiety, depression, uh relationship problems, family problems, etc., and that you need to treat the whole person. Um, I think when our field first developed, um, it was clear we needed to uh, be more focused on chemical dependency and address it and make the world understand that it was a disease and it needed to be treated primary. As we've matured and grown, we realize that that's still a fact. It's a primary disease, needs to be treated um, but that there are other issues that have to be treated along with it. And I think uh, the quality programs, and there are many in this country, um, treat that whole person included in that whole person is the family. 
Well, I know um, at Westbridge we also treat people with co-occurring illnesses. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of people to understand is both of these illnesses occur simultaneously in the brain and that they're both primary. And I think that that's a misconception that I still hear when I'm out and about is that treatment centers will say, well, you know, prime, the addiction has to be the primary illness. So um, I think right. No, I no, I agree with you 100. percent And I think the the skill of the treatment centers is to is to understand was the psychiatric symptomatology come before the chemical dependency, and then the chemicals were used as a self medication. Did the psychiatric symptoms come from the extensive use in chemicals? And understanding that and trying to figure out, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, um, is very important for the quality of treatment and for the benefit of the patient. But I absolutely agree with you. These are two illnesses um, that can be both considered primary, both centered in the brain, both need to be treated at the same time. And that's what I'm very proud of with CEDAR. Um, we are a department of the University of Colorado Hospital, not the university, but the hospital. And we are um, with the Department of Psychiatry of the School of Medicine. And so we are able to evaluate and assess um, both illnesses, the chemical dependency and the co-occurring at the same time, and I think give people the best treatment possible. In my travels around the country, a lot of people are looking at to begin to treat co-occurring disorders. And what I tell people is that, you know, um, it has to be based on continual assessment because unless you continually assess, you're not going to be able to differentiate um, what got started when and which illness. Did, are these independent of each other? Are they, are they dependent on each other? And I think that a lot of people are looking kind of for the magic bullet to how to treat people with co-occurring disorders. Do you find that? Yes. Yes, I do, and I, I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a process. The assessment process goes on on a daily basis for a number of reasons, and including very often some of the symptomatology is masked by the chemical dependency, and you have to wait for that to wear off. So you'll see different things at different stages of the treatment, and it's very important that the team continually integrate and communicate so that the patient gets the best treatment. That's one of the things at Cedar, and I'm sure at Westbridge also, constantly is going on is, is communication and staffing around the problems of the individual so that we can address them as they come up. And if we see some new stuff, um, we can address it immediately. But, yes, I agree with what you're saying. Um, what are you let me just seeing? let me make one comment. Sorry to sure. interrupt you, Mary. I, as I go around the country, I see the same thing you see. And one of the things that disturbs me is that very often treatment centers will say they deal with co-occurring, and all they have is this one person who's consulted with occasionally, or they have a staff member who went to two or three workshops on mental illness. And if you're really treating co-occurring in a in an effective way. You have to have a team approach with people from different um, modalities and beliefs that can that can integrate into that system, and that's why at Cedar, and I can only speak of Cedar, we have three addiction psychiatrists on staff. We have nurses with mental health background. We have staff members who are skilled and trained and certified in things like dialectic behavioral therapy, etc. So it's integrated into the whole program. You're absolutely right. Um, to have a multidisciplinary team is essential for treating people with co-occurring disorders. And I think that um, I know when I first started in the profession, everything was kind of based off the Minnesota model of treatment for addiction, where it was based on 28 days. It was based on bridging people into self-help. <clears throat> and then there were some halfway houses available 
for folks. And and I really think that, um, you know, we've grown way beyond that model of care. I agree. I agree. I, I certainly hope we have, and I think um, there are there are leaders in the field that are showing that way, um, and that's good to see. And, you know, as you said, you and I go way back, way back, and um, um, that's Not why that I'm, I'm back, very right? proud. I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> um Anyway, I'm happy to see that the field is moving in that direction. At times, because I'm an impatient individual, I don't see it moving quick enough, um, but I think it is moving forward, and I'm very proud of the fact that it is. And one of the reasons I came to CEDAR is um, when I was um, recruited five years ago, a little over five years now, I met with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Harmon, who is addiction psychiatry, and I can also share with you that he himself was in recovery. And as we sat and talked about whether I was coming to Cedar and what the future was and how we looked at it, one of the things we were on the same page about is that we really wanted to treat the whole person and look at all the the other issues that came about. And although we believe in the minute we both believed in the Minnesota model, we believe that that was the beginning of and the core of a much better program that we could develop. And and so Cedar um, came into came came to life. Unfortunately, I'll just add, Dr. Harmon passed away three or four months after we opened. But we've been blessed by getting other addiction psychiatrists who believe the same thing. When you talk about treating the whole person, can you explain to our listeners what exactly you mean by that? Well, I'll try. It's it's a very difficult thing. We all are we all are complicated individuals. That's the best way I can say it. We all have um, histories and behaviors that we learned from our families that developed into who we are. We all have certain illnesses, whether they be physical or mental, that occur. Chemical dependency becomes one part of that. For some reason, the person is picked up and does not have the ability to stop using. If you if you just pick one of those pieces and don't treat the whole person, then the person doesn't really get into recovery. They just get they they, they white knuckle it as the as the program uses the terminology. What we look for is health. How do you how do you relate to other people? How do you deal with some of your uh, personality disorders or character disorders. We can't all get rid of all of that. We all carry that from birth to death. But how do you how do you learn to live with those deficits and use them in a positive way? Um, so we know, for instance, let me just give this as an example. I'm just pulling this out of the air. We talk about people with ADHD, and it's a very difficult illness, and it and it's hard. But some of the most powerful people in the world had ADHD. They just used it effectively to the benefit of what they were trying to uh, uh, get in life. We try to teach our patients, number one, you've got to get rid of the chemicals. There's nothing positive about that. They distort your life. They ruin your life. They cause unmanageabilities. Now, other things are going to surface when you get rid of the chemicals that are part of the fabric of who you are. Let's take a look at those. Let's see how you can use them effectively. Let's see how you can work around them effectively. So, Again, example, we have dialectic behavioral therapy integrated into our, into our treatment. We call it coping skills group because DBT really is how do you learn to live on life's terms? When things arise, problems arise, how do you get into a different headset so that you can deal with those things? And particularly with people with chemical dependency so that they don't go back to the chemicals because of the discomfort of the things occurring in their lives. Uh, and that's, I hope, I've given you an example of how we deal with the whole person. There's a lot of other little details, but that would take a long time to go into. Is there any type of special nutritional programming that you have available? Yeah, we do. We have a, we have a, a nutritionist from the hospital who um, 
comes over, sets up our dietary functions, and if anyone comes in, uh, we do a nutritional uh, um, study. When they come in, they do a survey. And if there's any problems that occur in the nutritional area, the the dietitian will come over from the hospital. And we are in the, we are at this time um, recruiting for and hiring um, our own individual nutritionist on a part-time basis because we think it's so important. Um, for folks to learn how to properly take care of their bodies. Okay, uh, and that we'll be right back um, after this commercial with Frank. And if oh. you have any questions, please uh, feel free to call in, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, our show on our show today we have Frank Lisnow, who is the director of CDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. And we're talking with Frank about um, a number of things. We've been talking about co-occurring disorders of addiction and mental illness. We've been talking about some of the uh, trends in the profession over the last thirty some years. And if you have any questions or comments for Frank, um, please give us a call. 
And in the meantime, um, before we went to break, we were talking about um, treating the person, the whole person. And um, and I think that one of the things that's really interesting from my perspective is um, how much research has come into the treatment of addiction. And uh, I'm just wondering what your experience is um, in Colorado with uh, evidence-based practices. Well, we, we um, in Colorado, we've got through the University of Colorado Hospital, actually the University of Colorado Denver, which is the medical school. We have a whole, there's a whole research division um, staffed by a gentleman by the name of Tom Crowley who's doing a lot of research. Um, and I think it's just marvelous, all the new stuff that's coming up and, and particularly all the, all the research regarding the brain. And, you know, it just, it just shows that many years ago when people felt this was a primary disease and there was something, and it was all based on conjecture and, and stories, that it's being validated now that this is really a dysfunction of the brain and that there are things that are happening and, and it's, it's exciting that there are medications that are going to help. I mean, I hope we don't forget the behavioral part because I don't think pills solve all the problems, and we know that both in the mental health field and in the chemical dependency field. But I think we, now let me say this, I think we need a lot more evidence-based research regarding effective treatment. I think most of the research is going towards medicine and pharmacology, and I would like to see more around the behavioral behavioral end of treatment. I, I think we're that's where we're lacking, but it's coming. More, there's more talk about it. Um, what's, what do you think has been, like in the last 20 years, the most impressive um, new development in the, in the addiction profession? In the, in the profession itself, mm-hmm. as opposed to the, the research and the pharmacology? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a better understanding of, of the human being and the fact that confrontation uh, and is not the only way to go. I think for too long our field felt like, you know, there was too much. I hope everyone understands this who's listening. The, the 12-step fellowship is one of the most amazing organizations that's ever occurred in the, in, in the change arena for human beings. But a lot of it was based on, you know, close your mouth, open your ears, and you do what I tell you to do. And I think what we're learning is that worked with a lot of people, but not with the, not with the majority of people. And that you have to, as a clinician, you have to allow your window to come to the patient as opposed to make certain demands. And because of that, we've integrated the fellowship. Good treatment programs have inter- integrated the fellowship program, the 12-step fellowship programs, into a marvelous model of treatment. I think one of the things over the years, too, that, um, you know, I believe that as professionals, we've stigmatized and discriminated against people with substance abuse disorders as much as the general public has. We throw, you know, we've thrown them out when they've been symptomatic in their illness. We've told them to come back when they're ready. Um, you know, I think that I think there's been a lot that we've had to look at as a profession too. If we're going to treat this as an illness, are we going to treat it as an illness, or are we going to be the chemical police? Right, right. I agree. No, I agree. I think I think you're absolutely right with that point. And I think, um, you know, we have to we have to be more um, professional with our treatment plans. We have to understand the problems. We just went through that today, Mary. You know, a gentleman left over the weekend. He's coming back in today, and we've just redesigned the treatment plan rather than punished him for his behavior. And I'm very proud of that. Um, I think there are times you have to remove someone from a community because it affects too many other people, but 
you have to give them a, a layer of protection when that happens so that, um, we, you know, again, we treat the whole system that's around the person and we don't, we don't um, punish them for what is a disease. I right. agree. And I think, you know, again, I think one of the things that's new in this field, and this is very new, is just the whole concept of continuing care. I mean, the medical model has, has follow-up and return visits, et cetera, et cetera, and we have to develop a better model of that also. Right. And, you know, um, early on in, in when I was working in the profession, it was considered um, kind of a test of motivation if somebody came in for their appointment or not. And, you know, and, and I often think about, I don't remember my dentist appointment. I don't remember my doctor's appointment. I, I get a phone call to prompt right. me. But in the old days, that would be considered enabling and that somebody who was, you know, we know the people in early recovery don't have the best of memories, and people who are actively using substances don't have good memories, but we're holding them to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. I agree. No, we I agree. And, but, I, but again, I think, you know, just the fact of shows like this that are discussing it, and, you know, you, you attend conferences, there's more discussion around that area, and we're, we're realizing the the damaged brain that becomes chemically addicted and, more importantly, the damage done to the brain, and that's a lot of the new research, Due to the addiction, therefore, we have to we have to be more understanding of the patient, and not put demands upon them that they're incapable of of accomplishing. Yeah, that's unfair. I, I mean, know, the, um, a lot of the new research is showing that the brain really doesn't begin to heal for ninety days. Right, right. And yet we set up uh, expectations after twenty eight, thirty days for patients, and and then blame them when they fail. You're right. 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 You know, one of the interesting things from my perspective, because I, I've come into the profession as a nurse, is that the whole idea around harm reduction, how that's really for a long time been a four-letter word in our profession. And even with the feds, I mean, there was one recent administration where you couldn't even say the word harm reduction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's such a big part of any chronic illness is, um, you know, is in any public health issue is to look at it from a harm reduction perspective. I'm wondering what your views are on harm reduction. Well, I get, I get nervous. I, I, you know, I do come from the older model that the word harm reduction is a four-letter word, but I'm certainly softening as I get older. What I, what I fear personally, Mary, is that many are using the term harm reduction for profit motives. In other words, the, the, the expending of medications um, where there's a huge profit involved by the person who is prescribing it, um, and they call that harm reduction. I don't call that harm reduction. I think I think that's what causes the problems in the field. Harm reduction for me is someone using um, certain medications effectively and as prescribed to help them get into recovery and to be able to find a healthier way to live. And I, you know, that's okay with me. Um, and I find that that's, that it is. The second piece of harm reduction is we in the past have lumped everyone into the you got a disease, therefore abstinence is the only way. We've really not come up with a, a clear um, defining of whether someone has to be abstinent or whether, in fact, they don't have the disease. It was just part of their social functioning. An example, of course, is always the college student goes to college parties like crazy, and then after college finds a job, possibly finds a spouse, gets on with their life, 
and can drink occasionally and do other things occasionally and gets on with it. So we have to be careful how we define the patient. We have to use um, as good a data as we have, and I'm not sure the field has real good data yet. Well, I and, think and, and, then, and then there's a difference for me as, as, a, as a clinician whether harm reduction is appropriate or not. I don't throw it out, yeah. um, but I just use it carefully. I know. I, I know. Um, we conceptualize um, it around, you know, people who are pre-contemplative, or, or really even contemplative around their um, addictive disorder or their mental illness. Is that you don't not treat them because they're not willing to be sober or they're not willing to take their medications. You have to develop treatment interventions that will meet them where they're at, but continue to con- continue to engage them in treatment so that they can can get a healthy life and function at a higher level. So I think we kind of conceptualize harm reduction in a broader sense, that we will treat people when they're actively using. You know, we will engage them into treatment. We will begin to work with them to develop, you know, um, what are the not-so-good things about your your use of alcohol and other drugs and what are are the not-so-good things about your symptoms or your mental illness, you know, because... Um, until you figure that out, you're not really not going to change. So. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you said earlier. Let's not punish people for the illness they have. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I, I was, I was, I was further down the road. With you were talking about opiate replacement. Therapy? Do I agree with opiate replacement? Yeah, is that I, what you yes, were referring yeah. to when you were talking yes. about further down the road? Yes, suboxone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, I don't get me wrong. I agree with the use of suboxone. I think I agree with, with the use of methadone. I think. As a culture, we have overused methadone for profit-making. And I hope the same thing doesn't happen with Suboxone. Suboxone is a, is a very effective drug. We use it at Cedar. We've seen tremendous results from it, particularly in a reduction of uh, ACAs against clinical advice, people leaving early who are on opiates. Um, we've seen people who have used it for periods of time very effectively. But I would hate to see it um, used as ineffectively as methadone has been used, and yet I believe methadone is a good drug for people. Yeah. I think one of the things that we're seeing in the Northeast, and I know they're seeing a lot in the Southeast, is um, the huge rise in the abuse of prescription drugs. And these these are drug medications that people are getting from doctors. They're not getting them from the street. They're not robbing pharmacists to yep. get them. They're, it's just the overprescription of pain medication, stimulants, and benzodiazepines. Correct. We're seeing the same thing here in Colorado and in the western area. That is, that is the fastest growth, drug growth that we are seeing. And again, that goes back to what I what I just said. For profit, whether it be the pharmaceutical companies or physicians who find it easier to give out medication than to actually work with the patient, we have we have become a society too reliant on medications. And so when we take it out of the clinical realm and put it into the profit realm, we get in trouble. Right. And everybody's looking for the magic bullet. Nobody yeah. can tolerate any kind of distress, you know. Right. And every time you turn on the television, there's a pill for this, there's a pill for that, there's a pill for everything. Right, right, and, right, um, right. It's really not a very positive message to send to people. Right, right. Um, and, I, you know, I, if, 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 I may, if I may throw in something that we briefly talked about before we got on the air, I mean, that's with the new... Healthcare uh, that's going on, and we're hearing on TV all the time. Can you hold that thought till the end of our next commercial? Well, go ahead, take the commercial. Okay, we'll be right back. If you have any questions for Frank or comments, um, give us a call. 
listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Frank Lizno, and we've been talking about a number of subjects. And before going to break, we were just beginning to talk about health care reform, and I think you had a comment, Frank. Yes. I, You know, health care reform is, is kind of interesting, and, you know, people can be on either side of the aisle on this thing, but the one thing we really need to be aware of is that the health care system as it has existed is not working. And one of the reasons it's not working, again, is because what we talked about earlier, when the profit motive gets into something, uh, it's very dangerous. And what's happened with insurance companies, healthcare insurance companies, is they were originally set up to help the public. In other words, for example, you put a dollar in when you need it, you get 90 cents back. They keep 10 cents for administration. But now the profit motive has has become a horrible ingredient in healthcare, and therefore we don't get back nearly what we put in, and and people are suffering and not getting healthcare. And I was saying that because with the new healthcare system, there isn't a lot of talk. There's a new thing called parity, but there isn't a lot of talk about mental health, mental illness, and chemical dependency being a disease. And I don't, and I think we're going to be on the back burner when it comes to um, the whole issues. And it will certainly be worse if the whole healthcare um, proposal put on by, you know, what they call Obamacare gets thrown out. I think we need to look at each piece separately 
and start to address it because the system needs fixing. It's broke. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think it really speaks to our whole political system that we're not talking about the fact that these are for-profit corporations that are using our hard-earned money that we pay for our insurance um, benefits to create a profit for their shareholders. And, you know, nobody talks about that, but that to me is the crux of the issue. Mary, I agree with you 100%. Some of the best stocks available now are health care and pharmaceuticals. Right, right. Why do, why do people think that's it? And, yes, you're absolutely right. If we don't come to the table with a clear understanding of that and how we can make the system better for everyone, um, it's just going to be bi- political bipartisan. Right, right, right. There's just there's just so much of that. And I think that if I want, uh, I'm going to put a plug in here for anybody who's listening, if you belong to your counselors association, whether it's NADAC or um the Social Workers, National Social Workers Association or Marriage and Family Therapist. I mean, it's really time for us to have a voice because um, these are all brain diseases. And when, when you look at um, substance use disorders, there are so many medical complications that result of, as, as a result of not even, even just abusing alcohol, people that end up with um, stomach problems, with hypertension, with vascular disease, um, and then put smoking on top of that. And there's just... You know, there's just so much money we could save if we could treat, if people would treat these illnesses effectively. Exactly, exactly. We get many of our referrals from hospitals. We get, because we are part of the University of Colorado Hospital and right across the street from the main hospital, we have transferred many patients over to the hospital for a day or two to take care of medical problems, which are complications of their dependency. And uh, we even had a gentleman um, actually uh, going to cardiac arrest in our in our lobby, we got him to the hospital, got his taken care of, and brought him back to treat his addiction, which was the cause of his cardiac arrest. And, you know, uh, it is it is a major part of the medical problems in this country. Absolutely agree. But nobody talks about that, you know. And I, and I think that you know, for people who are in our profession, now's the time to get our voice. That we need to kind of band together all the professionals, not just um, people in in the substance use disorders profession or the chemical dependency profession. It's everybody. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know what what I mean by this, but the other side is certainly voicing their opinion loudly, and we're standing back and letting them do that. And you're right, Mary. We need to stand up and voice it, especially those people who are on the floor every day dealing with these issues. Um, I think another thing that that's, um, you had mentioned, um, I think you mentioned during the break that you're you'll be retiring in a few months, and um, you know uh, what do you think of as as your legacy, Frank? Well, thank you for asking me that. Number one, I'm not I'm not retiring in a few months. I don't want to scare anyone who's listening. Oh, right. from I this thought you year. said you by the end of the year. Okay. By the end of the year, I'll probably be retiring. I just turned sixty-five. My legacy is cedar. I want to say that, and I'm very proud of it because um, my background is I came out of a mental health center in Vermont. I went to a large treatment center in Pennsylvania, and in both places I learned a tremendous a lot. I mean, of course, we all do as we as we move through life. But one of the things that became apparent to me is the is this is the separation of the treatment modalities and the need to combine them. What we talked about earlier, Mary, the whole co-occurring and accepting people, you know, for where they're at and not punishing people for their illness, et cetera. And so when I came, the reason I came to Cedar is to set up what I wanted, that, that ideal treatment center, the place where 
everyone or almost everyone could get all the issues dealt with in a very uh, passionate, caring environment that they, when they left, they understood what recovery was and they could make a choice in their life about whether they wanted it or not. We as professionals can't make people make the right choice. We can just show them the right road. And so I came to Cedar and we have developed, in my opinion, and I'm, of course I'm the preacher in front of the choir, we have developed a team of people who just are passionate about taking care of people, giving them the right direction, loving them for wherever they're at, um, and then hoping that they make it. And we've got a huge alumni who are doing well, and I'm real proud of that. And uh, I'll leave with my head held high, and I'll really feel like this was my this was my legacy. Not to say I didn't do a lot in the mental health center or in the treatment center in Pennsylvania. Uh, I can't imagine all the people I've worked with over the years, um, but Cedar has been my, my final piece. And secondly, I feel very strongly that um, people of my age and people who've had all the years in the field need to mentor other people. It's very important. Um, our field, our substance abuse field, is an, is, a, is an aging field, and we need to bring in a lot of young people. And I feel I've done that uh, in the past, and particularly here at Cedar. I, I mentor as many people as I can. I probably could count seven or eight on my, you know, that I, I directly mentor. And I try to show other people um, what good treatment is about. So those are the two things that I'm most proud of. Um, what advice do you have for people who are entering the profession? I'm sorry, I missed that, man. What advice do you have for people who are entering the profession? Um, enter with your eyes open. It is not an easy profession. It is definitely an underpaid profession. Um, when I hear teachers complain about what they make and nurses complain about what they make, and I, I'm not saying they're wrong, we make probably uh, half to two-thirds of what they make, and yet we save lives every day. So I want people to come in with a passion for giving back in life and understanding that it's going to be a rewarding but very long and, and tough road. Um, and then what I want them to do, what I, my advice is um, keep your eyes open and get around people who have some history in the field because it's a very interesting field, and I think the history of the field is very important in understanding what you do. I believe that people are kind of called to this profession. I don't think anybody gets into this profession by chance. I don't know if I totally agree, Mary, and the reason I say that is that very often you'll see people come into this helping profession who um, have never really addressed their own personal issues, and they think by they can help other people. And if you don't address your own issues, I'm not sure you can help people well. And so we as managers have to sort out um, those people that need a little help themselves and then offer it to them, not, right. not condemn them again, but offer it to them and say, you know, uh, a little too much transference going on here. I want you to take a look at some things. I'll help you. You know, we've sent two or three people to, to um, like, week-long educational treatment components so that it makes them better counselors where they look at themselves. Um, so I know what you mean about calling, and, and, and those are the best counselors. Those are the best people in the profession, but there are others, and we, and we as managers have to be uh, always have our eyes open to the to the other folks and help them, not get rid of them, but help them. Right. I agree with you. But I, I believe they don't get here by accident either. The people okay. that we end up having, the staff we end up having to help, I think. Okay. I understand that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think that yeah. they don't get here by accident. Right. Um, one of the things that uh, has been kind of, you know, one of the major issues in 
uh, this profession over the years has been the the kind of is it a competency based profession or is it education based? And um, for anybody who's been around for any number of years, this has been an ongoing discussion, debate. There's been um, feelings on both sides of the aisle, you know, about um, is it based on experience or is it based on education? And I'm just wondering what you've seen over the the 35 years, Frank, in terms of... Well, that's a great question because when I was president of NADAC, one of the things I pushed for strongly is that it needs to be both, that... It, and here's the issue. If if it's competency-based, you need to get on with your life and get some education so you can improve as a clinician. If it is just educational-based, you've just gone to school, then you've got to get around other people who um, have suffered from this illness, have been around the illness, uh, have been family members, so that you can weave the competency into the education. So I think it comes from both sides, and I think wherever you start, you've got to get the other component. And as the, as the field becomes more integrated with co-occurring and mental health, the folks coming from the competency base certainly need to, to go back and get some education. Um, and, and by the way, it's the standard of our, of our world. You know, professionals are educationally based. So it's great to come in with competency, and I think it gives you tremendous compassion and passion for what you do. But to make believe you don't need to be further educated, I think, is is uh, not wise. You know, and I, what I would like to see is um, a standardization so that whether whatever the curriculum is in Colorado, it's the same in Florida or Texas or Washington State or, or New Hampshire, so that um, internships, you know, there's the same standard for internships as well, so that everybody kind of gets the same basic experience. And we'll be right back for our final segment with Frank after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Frank Lisnow, who is the executive director of CDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation, which is part of the University of Colorado Hospital System, and it's located outside of Denver. Um, before we went to break, Frank, we were talking about um, mentoring and taking kind of what it takes to be a professional, and you said you, there was something more you wanted to say about that. Yes, I, you know, one of the things that many of us talk about a lot, Mary, I know you're included in this conversation many times, is, is the, you know, what makes for a good counselor in our field. And I have to say in very short terms, I think it's a combination of competency and education, not one or the other. And whether you come from the uh, life experience, you should get education. And if you come from education, you need to figure out a way to get some life experience so you understand this disease. And when I say disease, I mean chemical dependency, and mental illness. I couldn't agree with you more. And once again, what I'm afraid of is that both both sides of the aisle, mental health and the um, addiction profession, are looking for an easier, softer way. You know, how can we get people into the co-occurring field um, the fastest, cheapest way? And, and I think that right. as somebody who um, directs an agency that takes care of people with co-occurring illnesses that scares me no i agree with you it's same for me as executive director of a treatment center i know all our counselors have uh the cac3 which is certified addiction counselor highest level in colorado and a bachelor's or a master's and most of them have masters and we know that because people learn things from life experiences and they learn things from education um and then within education there's internships etc so all those ingredients are important for them to fully treat somebody in an effective way. And by the way, one of the things coming out in the field now is this whole return to coaching, as they're calling it, or... or um, life coaching? And, well, it, was that? Life coaching? Well, it's not life coaching. It's a new term they're using for the insurance companies are going to pay for you to be around someone in recovery. Oh. They're paying for 12-step is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. 
and it's a way of it's a way of the insurance companies once again not spending any money, so they can put it into the profits. Um, and it really doesn't address the need for people to have good experiences, um, even if it's a competency base, but but some experience behind the competency for treating individuals. Because there is a difference between twelve-stepping someone, meaning getting them into the fellowship, and treatment. Twelve-step can be a component of treatment, but it's not treatment. And anyone who is a part of the twelve-step fellowship will tell you that. I know. I think one of the things, too, that's really important for people to understand is that people who have co-occurring disorders, their brains are different. And to expect them to behave in the way that somebody with a mental illness or who has an addictive disorder behaves, it's unrealistic. And, And oftentimes people have... They're doing the best with what they have to work with, but what they have to work with has been pretty maladaptive, or it's it's influenced by trauma, or or psychosis, or depression, or anxiety. And so, what typically behaviors that typically twenty years ago you get tossed out of treatment for, we're now able to understand is like, okay, this this person is behaving this way because because something's different in their brain. Right. Absolutely. And you need to be trained to understand that and to be able to deal with it. Right. Right, because um, your buttons get pushed. Right. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to just talk about your five-year anniversary, which sounds really exciting. Um, okay. Can you let folks know and let them know where it's going to be? And if- absolutely. Thank you for asking. So as of November of 10, Cedar was open five years, and um, we decided to have a celebration of being open five years. And it is going to occur on January 21st. Um, at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. And as Mary said earlier, our uh, guest entertainer is Bon Jovi, and we're very excited about that. Um, it was arranged through um, the University of Colorado Hospital Foundation, and some of the uh, people who are involved in that foundation were able to um, arrange, and also, I'm sorry, EAG uh, Entertainment, uh, which is Ancients Entertainment Group, which puts on a lot of concerts. Um, these two groups, the Foundation and AEG, uh, were kind enough to put this um, fundraiser together. Um, there's two parts to it, actually. There's a uh, first part, which is a dinner, silent auction, um, and some welcoming uh, comments. Um, and then the doors and people will buy tables, tables of 10 for that event. And then at 8.45 that night, um, Bon Jovi puts on an hour-and-a-half concert, and we've given out 200 tickets to our um, staff and um, alumni who will come in at 8.45 and be able to take in the concert free of charge. So we're very excited about it. We're very excited that Cedar has been here for five years. Um, In five years, we feel we have um, reached our goal of being a world-class facility. We're known all over the, the nation and parts of the world as being one of the top-notch residential co-occurring treatment facilities, chemical dependency and co-occurring treatment centers. And this is just a celebration of that. That's what we would say in New England, wicked cool. I'm sorry? That's what we would say in New England as being wicked cool. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, here we say it's mountain high, mile high, mountain high. Oh, okay. Um, Just to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about CEDAR, Primarily, what is the um, the profile of, of a typical patient who comes to CDAR? Well, there is no typical patient. We we take adults, age 18 and above, male and female. 
Um, chemical dependency, core carring is our is our niche. That's what we deal with. And by the way, as part of core carring, we do we do deal with people with gambling problems, which is becoming a very big problem of our society of late, because so many uh, municipalities are making tremendous amounts of money off of gambling. Um, but really, other than that, there's no profile. I mean, um, our average age is probably in the early 30s. But as I said, um, we take people from 18 and above. Um, our referrals are hospitals, doctors, clinicians, family members, of course. Um, we are a 30-day program. Um, we do not take insurance because insurance doesn't pay for, you know, they just battle your tooth and nail. So we're private pay. Um, people can uh, apply to their insurance companies after treatment, and many times they do get reimbursed. Um, and then we have a extended component where people can stay an additional minimum of 60 days or more um, because what we know is that um, the gold standard of 90 days treatment is really what uh, is a very, very effective. Others, uh, all treatment is effective, but that 90 days is tremendously effective, and that's coming out of the brain research that shows the brain really doesn't begin to heal and and um, you know, help develop the executive functioning that we need for 90 days. So we see a we may see a much better success rate when people stay longer than the 30 day primary care. Um, do you treat folks with trauma? Um, what we do, we I'm not going to say we deal with trauma, Mary, because I think it's a specialty. What we do is we address the trauma, we can identify it, and we refer after the the 30 days to a more trauma specific treatment facility whether that be outpatient or residential. One of the things we try to do is get the person to understand that they need to be chemically free so they can begin to deal with the trauma, although we do work with the trauma while they're here. But it's a specialty, and um, that is not our specialty. Okay. Um, What about, you mentioned gambling. Do you uh, treat folks with eating disorders? We take people with eating disorders, but, again, we will identify, we will work with them, we will set them up with the dietician, we will set up treatment plans to to monitor their eating habits, and then we will refer them to an eating specialist after the 30 days. And we also uh, are, we also have uh, the, the the eating recovery center of Denver. We work together with, so they'll send over a con- consultant to see a patient who has eating disorder problems and set up a plan for the first 30 days, realizing that to deal with an eating disorder takes a lot longer than 30 days. Right, right, right. Um, do you- do you um, work with folks that have psychosis? No. No, we will refer them to, to a psychiatric facility for that. Okay. That really is psychiatric-specific and um, takes a different kind of treatment. Okay. Um, what, what have you learned in the last five years at CEDAR? Uh, it's time to retire. <laughs> no, I don't. You know what? I, I, I haven't. I mean, we always learn things every day. And I've certainly, I've certainly learned that um, we all need to be open to new ideas, new concepts. I mean, I was not someone who was uh, a, a real supporter of pharmacology when I first got in this field. I believe that pharmacology has come a long way, and there are many benefits. Um, we like to use the term medication-supported recovery. I think that's an excellent term that's being used now. And I think there are medications that can be beneficial that people need especially in the early days of recovery, because of the brain dysfunction that you spoke about so many times in this hour, Mary, they need some help to get themselves integrated into a recovery program, and we need to help them along the way. And I think I've learned that. Um, 
that there are there are many doors that need to be opened that we have to look at. Um, thank you so much for sharing this hour with us and your uh, wealth of experience. And um, I, if I don't see you, have a happy new year. I hope maybe we'll see you in the circuit somewhere okay. at the end of the year. And um, thanks again, once again. Um, CDAR is the Center for Chemical for Dependency Addition, Addiction and Rehabilitation, and their 50th anniversary is on January 21st with Bon Jovi. So I uh, have a great night. Send us pictures. Okay. Happy New right. Year to everybody. Okay. Happy New Year, everyone. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.